Well, we are in a series called The Recipe. We are closing it out today. Part four, uh, we are talking about restoration. Uh, we're talking about a recipe for prayer that will empower your prayers and change your life forever. If you're on social media, hashtag the recipe for prayer. If you want sermon notes, just send an email to info at bridgechurch.cc and we will get those to you. The first week we talked about preparation, uh, the benefits of a prayer journal. Uh, we have made those, uh, a lot of those journals available in the bookstore. We have some, some new ones that we just got in as well. We don't make any money on that. Uh, we just want to get those in your hands for you to start journaling. Uh, I'm really encouraged by all the people that I've, that I've seen bringing them to church and, uh, and taking notes. Uh, even grown men that have never journaled in their life before are doing that and just seeing a life change is very encouraging me to, to me as one of your pastors. Uh, the second week, we talked about consternation, which means disturbed or uncomfortable. We said that a prayer journal will draw you nearer to Christ, and this will result in your heart, your perspective becoming like Jesus's. And what makes him weep will make you weep. When you become a believer and when you grow in your relationship, uh, you will have a tender, a tender, teachable heart that you have never had before. And just get ready because you're probably going to cry like you've never cried before. Because you have a heart of Jesus and you have compassion inside of you that you've never had before until you came, came, to, came to the Lord. Then we talked briefly about how to organize your prayer journal. And there's about four areas, which, and I've been doing it this week. Uh, one was, was worship where just worship the Lord for who he is. We talk about praise and thanksgiving as well. The second one is personal. What do you want? What are you praying for yourself? What are you praying for your spouse? What are you praying for, um, for your family? The third one was the bridge. Uh, what are you praying for the bridge, the church that you're a part of? What, coming to God with great expectation and what you want him to do in 2016 and in the coming years as well. And then the fourth section was a kingdom section, his kingdom. Uh, not, just, not just about the bridge, but what do you want God to see do, to do throughout the area, throughout the state, throughout the country, throughout the world. And um, last week, we talked about submission. And God the Father received the prayer of his son because of reverent submission. Now, let me talk just briefly about last week. Last week got a little intense. It got a little awkward, even. Uh, if you weren't here, you'll just have to listen to it, I guess. I did have some people send me some messages of what I talked about. It was, it was a very difficult subject I talked about. did have some people come and thank me for talking about that and being real about that subject people that have experienced some of the things that I talked about last week and, um, and just thanking me because God is using that to bring healing into their life. All right? So if you were awkward and it made you feel uncomfortable, that's okay because there is a bigger purpose because people are being restored because we are a church that talks about that stuff. Okay. So I was thinking about giving an apology for last week, but I'm not. I'm not, because it's about life change, and that's what this church is all about. Now, I know some of you are like, what did he talk about? You're just going to you're just gonna have to listen. pray for me, because if this is not easy. Listen, I haven't preached on a weekly basis in nearly seven years, all right? So it's, it's, this is difficult for me. I've, you know, I have a lot of responsibilities as a campus pastor, uh, but I really felt that we needed to we needed live preaching on Sundays, and so we've made that transition. You guys have been coming, so we haven't decreased in attendance, so that's, so that's encouraging. But just pray for me because, you know, it's hard. It's hard to stand up here every single week. Um, you know, I'm working through some of my stuff as well, and, um, and I never want to say anything that does not honor and glorify God, and I don't want to just say things that you know, that, that I just want to say. I don't, I don't want to say things just for shock value. I want to I say things that, that I feel God leading me to say. And, uh, and so just, just please, 
uh, in your prayer journal, write my, name, write my name down, and uh, be praying for me this week, especially with the sex series as well. Today, the fourth and final ingredient in our recipe for powerful, life-changing prayer is restoration. We're still in Luke 22, where it is recorded that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was arrested, tried, and crucified. So let's read that together here. Luke 22. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at, the pla- at that place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and began to pray. Knelt down, reverence, submission, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, and that's what we're going to focus on today. An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So there were angels at his birth. They announced it. There were angels at his resurrection at the tomb. In between his birth and his his resurrection, there are only two times in his life that we know about when angels showed up. The first time was at his temptation in the wilderness before he started his ministry. And angels came and ministered to him. The second time was here at the temptation in the garden. So it's very interesting to me that uh, probably two of the most intense moments of Jesus' life, God sent angels to minister to him as well. Now, in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted in three areas. And I'm not going to focus on that, but I, but I thought it was real interesting. Pastor Farrell brought it up on Thursday, and, and I did a little bit more reading. There's three areas, and if you've got your journal, you can write these down. And if not, just grab one of those note cards. There was the lust of the flesh where the Lord was hungry. He, he had fasted without food and water for 40 days. I don't really think that we can even fathom how difficult that was. I did a fast not too long ago, and, uh, and I started my fast with just water for one day. Dude, I was a wreck. I could barely stand up. Like, I got up from, from the bed, and I was, like, slamming myself in the wall. I was so weak. That was one day, and I had water with me. Can you imagine how uh, weak Jesus must have, have been? So the Lord was hungry. He had that lust of the flesh. And, 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 and the enemy offered uh, something to eat. The other one was the pride of life. The pride of life. Jesus could have abused his powers that he'd been given. And the other one was the lust of the eyes. Jesus could bypass the crucifixion. The devil had already had control of the kingdoms of the world. And he said, give Jesus them in return to his allegiance. So that's what, that's what, the, that's what Satan wanted, was Jesus' allegiance. And the very thoughts causes Jesus to shudder. So the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. Man, do we have a God that can relate to us? I mean, those are the things that we struggle with on a daily basis. What an awesome God that we have. But his temptation here in the garden was to hold his holy rights, not to bear our sin on the cross, and not to become sin for us. That was his temptation. So what's the significance of the appearance of the angel here in the garden? I don't know what the angel did here in the garden. I don't know what the angel did when they showed up in the temptation of the, after, after his temptation in the wilderness. But I think it's accurate 
to assume in both cases that an angel was sent from his father to affirm the father's love and care for his son. To affirm the father's love and care for his son. And of course, Jesus was strengthened by that. When you are reminded that God loves you and will take care of you, what can't you endure in this life temporarily compared to what waits for you in eternity? When you know that God loves you and he's going to take care of you, what can't you endure in this life? I will go through anything as long as I know those two things. I will go through hell on earth, whether it's cancer, whether it's, whether it's a death of a loved one, whether it's financial troubles, whatever it is, I will be able to endure that as long as I know those two things. You take away those two things, forget it, man. I can't do it. I can't do it. Keep in mind that the horror of all horrors for Jesus was the thought of being separated from the Father. That was even more horrific than the garden. That was even more horrific than, than the abuse and, and the torture he would take on the, on the cross. Even more so what would just kill, like internally, Jesus was being separated from the Father. I mean, that, that's, that's powerful to me. I mean, Jesus was with his father before creation. And so thinking about being separated from the father just puts him in complete anguish. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are on angels. There's a lot of really weird and false stuff out there about angels, but Hebrews 1, 13 through 14 promise us, promises us that God sends his angels to minister to his people. Therefore, angels are only servants. They're spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. In Psalm 91, 11, says, For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That's pretty awesome, man. That's pretty awesome. Um, you know, I've never seen an angel, you know, but I just feel that there's a spiritual battle going on that if we could only see, we would, like, do things in our pants that we're not supposed to do. <laughs> now, if you wake up, you know, and you see, like, a, like a, look, a little feather on the floor, that, you know, that might freak you out. I don't know. But, um, one writer said this, and I love this. He said, the angels are always looking at God's face, ready to go to the aid of those he loves. So can you almost picture God and the angels just waiting? And God just like, just wait for the nod. And the angels just, angels just swoop down. Whoa, buddy, I tell you what, man, we can't even fathom. We can't even fathom. Um, I don't know about your experiences, um, I'm not going into freaky town here, but, uh, I remember my grandpa, uh, John Lezzi, when he passed away, uh, he, he was my next door neighbor and, and he was very dear to me. And when he passed away, um, like right before he was passing away, it's like, he was like reaching out. He was like reaching out and trying to like, you know, touch something. And you just, I just wonder like what, what my grandpa was seeing at, uh, at that moment before, before he died. Um, I was nearly 20 years ago, I was 18 years old, and I was uh, driving in a car uh, with my buddies, and we were going to do a mat matinee, or not a matinee, a late night, midnight showing of Animal House. <laughs> I won't go into that, but, and I was driving too fast, and I hit a car head on going 60 miles an hour. And I walked away from that. My buddy, who was the passenger, flew out the window going 60 miles an hour, hitting a car head on, falling on the pavement. 
and got up and walked away. My buddy who was behind me, glass was everywhere. If you've been in a car accident, you know. Glass was everywhere. My buddy was all cut up, got, uh, got a, a cut in his neck, missed his jugular by a millimeter. And, and uh, I know the driver of that other car, uh, his leg was broken, another guy broke his nose. Most horrific night of my entire life that I, that I could have caused eight people, including myself, to die just by that, just by my recklessness. Don't tell me God's angels weren't involved in that night. I guarantee you. And, and some of you have been through some horrendous things. And you walked away from it. God's there. And he's reminding you that he is faithful. And he will never leave your side. And, be, and because, you feel that right there? Feel that? That's a pulse. That means you still have a purpose. All right? If you're here right now, you still have a purpose. God's not done with you. God will remind you somehow, some way, that he is there in your time of need and in your darkest hour. The angels came to strengthen and restore Jesus. The appearance and the ministry of the angel here in the garden assured Jesus that though the father would allow him to be bruised, which was prophesied in Genesis 3, he would not abandon his son. He would not abandon his son. In the midst of the garden prayer, Jesus experiences divine restoration divine restoration why did he need why did he need this strength because jesus was human so he needed strength beyond what a human body could provide he was fully god fully man but he needed divine restoration how severe was the struggle why did he need an angel to come luke the physician says in verse 44 being in agony and here means to be combat unto death. The battle was so intense, it almost killed him before the cross did. Listen, I believe, we, you know, we talk about, a lot about the cross, and I, I've always just really been fascinated with the Garden of Gethsemane and, and all that took place there. I believe that was just as intense as the cross was. I believe the intensity in the Garden of Gethsemane was, was just so, so, I mean, he sweated blood. He sweated blood. Mark 14, 34 says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Jesus was praying fervently, which is a medical term used to describe stretching of muscles to the max of their capability. Jesus can't pray any harder. He can't pray any more intently. He, he's praying to the limits of his own capability. He is praying so extreme so intense, so intense, this, the torture of temptation to resist letting go of his holy rights and becoming sin for, for us is so taxing. His prayer to his father is so passionate that his body literally shows up, shows the physical effects of what he's going through at this moment. This magnitude of his struggle to accept the sin of all mankind upon himself is bearing down upon him. His acceptance of divine wrath and separation from his father, the concentration, the passion, the emotional struggle, shows up physically that his sweat becomes mixed with blood. And this is an actual medical condition. I won't say the word because I'll butcher it. But it, is, but it is where capillaries dilate and burst. Capillaries dilate and burst, mingling Blood with sweat. I mean, I don't know anyone, anyone in here that has been under so much anguish, they sweated blood. But that's exactly what happened to our Lord and Savior. He starts to shed blood through his preparation. And he soaks his clothes with sweat and blood mingled together, dripping on the ground. You know, here he is, sweating blood, and the next day he will shed his blood. He's sweating blood and then he sheds his blood. I see him laying on the ground, saturated in blood and sweat. He goes through all of this and somehow, somehow pauses 
to check on his disciples. He's, he's, he's going through this horrendous moment where the enemy is just on him and is trying to give one last ditch effort for Jesus to cave in, for Jesus you know, to, to, to not accept what he was called to do. And what does he do? He goes to check on his disciples. Don't tell me that God doesn't love you. In his most time of need, he checks on his, on his, on his children, on those he loves. He is a compassionate, loving father. And if you have not experienced his love, you can experience it today. Listen, there's a, a, a song by um, Fernando Otego. It says, Give Me Jesus. Oh, I love that song, man. It brings me tears in my eyes. When it's my time, give me Jesus. When it's my time to die and my family's around my bedside, give me Jesus. That's all I want. I want to be with him forever because that's what I live for. I live for him and no one else. And when you live for him, he will change your life. He will change your relationships. I cannot wait. Listen, that's what I long for. That's what I live for, to be with Jesus in heaven forever. So when it's in my time and, I, and I'm no longer here, you know, weep for a little bit, but let's celebrate because I'm home, baby. I am home. And that's what I long for. He goes through all of this and he checks on his disciples. And what does he find? He finds that they're sleeping. Then he goes back to prayer, continues through the process until the final, finally the agony is over. There's no statement of triumph, but it's evident. Verse 45 says, when he rose from prayer. When he rose from prayer. You can't compare what Jesus went through to our situations that maybe we're going through right now. But something about how he rose up from prayer really spoke to me and really stood out to me. Some of you are trying to battle and endure something in your life right now on your own strength. And you can't do it. You can't do it. You were never meant to go through this life without Jesus by your side. And you were never meant to go through your situation that you're going through right now on your own. You have to rely on God, pray, and rise up from your situation that you're in right now. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Pray and rise up. Because we, Jesus has already won the victory. We're, we're his kids. We're victorious. We're on the winning team. Like, so many believers live a defeated life. And that's what the enemy wants you to live. He wants you to live defeated and discouraged. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean God doesn't want you to go through it. Whatever it is you're going through right now, just because it's difficult doesn't mean God doesn't want you to go through it. If we have a Savior that endured the cross, what are we going to face in this lifetime? And I think sometimes we just like being in the comfort zone. You know what? You can only be in the comfort zone for so long. Because there's no growth in the comfort zone. I was just talking to a man uh, recently who had a heart attack last year at Christmas time. And he was telling me, he said, Pastor Jeremy, he said, I missed that time. Because I clung on to Jesus like I never have before. Because I didn't know if I was going to make it. And I didn't know if I was going to leave my wife. And I didn't know if I was going to leave my kids and my grandkids. And they wouldn't have a grandfather anymore. I didn't know. But I missed that time. Listen, when the fire turns up a little bit, you're going to see what your faith is made out of. And it's not wasted. God never wastes an experience. He's not wasting this experience you're going through. Right? There's a reason and there's a purpose. And, and it may be a while before you know, but just trust him. Just trust him. God allowed this. 
God allowed his son to endure this. Satan had given his best shot, and he loses one final time. And he loses again. When Jesus got up off the ground, he was bloody but unbowed. Soaked in blood and sweat, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping again. They should have been praying. And if he needed to pray, how much more did they need to pray? If Jesus prayed to his father, how much more do you and I need to pray? They were not sleeping because they were tired or because it was night. Luke tells us why they were sleeping. He says they were sleeping from sorrow. They were sleeping from sorrow. The battle was so intense that they just didn't want to deal with it. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't handle it. They didn't understand it all from their perspective. Total collapse seemed inevitable. Fatalism had crept in, so they thought. What is there to pray for? We've lost. What's there to pray for? Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been there before where you say, what's the point? Why go on? Have you ever wanted to give up on your marriage? Have you wanted to ever give up on life? Maybe you had the pills, the knife, the gun in your hand. Maybe you just wanted to drive off the road and crash into a tree. I've been there before. God doesn't leave you in that situation. When you are weak, he is strong. He is strong. He is our great deliverer. He, Jesus repeatedly warned his disciples to pray. Yes, he would pray for them, and yes, as the high priest, he would intercede for his own. But the application here is that we are to pray as well. Not that, like, we should pray. We must pray. We have to pray. So much is on the line. When you don't pray, it's like you just leaving your house unlocked, allowing the enemy to come in and do whatever he wants to you, your spouse, and your kids. When you don't pray. You, you don't, you're not putting on the armor of God. You're just saying, well, I'm just going through the motions. The, defi- the disciples fell asleep three times. But through prayer, our Lord goes to face the enemy. Through prayer, our Lord goes to face the enemy in his triumph over temptation. Triumphs over temptation. And in contrast... The disciples go to face the enemy defeated by a lack of prayer. Jesus didn't give up. And he prayed. And he was able to overcome. The disciples stopped praying and they couldn't overcome temptation. Did the disciples follow Jesus when he was arrested? Did they go with him? No. It says that everyone deserted him and fled. Here Jesus pours into his best friends 24-7 for three years. And when, when Jesus needs his disciples the most, at his darkest hour, they flee. When he's beaten, they're nowhere to be found. When he's hanging on the cross, no one can see him because they're hiding and they're scared. Because they relied on themselves, and they didn't rely on God the Father. When you aren't prayed up, and the fire gets hot, you will want to flee your situation instead of facing it. Don't flee, fight. Don't flee, fight. Don't flee, face it. And Jesus is there with you. Our Lord has won the victory by defeating the prince of hell. He stands covered with bloody sweat on his precious face. His clothes are soaked through. He's now prepared through prayer to face the enemy. And he will face Judas, the betrayer, who will give him a kiss, 
Can you imagine what Jesus must have felt? Listen, you know that Jesus had God's anointing on him when Judas, his disciple, betrayed him. Because if I was Jesus, I would have clocked him, man. I would have decked Judas. How could you, man? Probably, I probably wouldn't just clocked him once. When he was on the ground, I probably would have clocked him again. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And then Peter. God bless Peter, man. I'm Peter. Peter White right here, buddy. Peter takes his sword, cuts off the ear of the soldier. And what does Jesus do? He touches that soldier's ear and he, and he heals it. Jesus is reminding the disciples that the battle is not theirs to fight. The battle is God's to fight. My sister's excited. I'm glad one person's excited about that. Listen, whatever your situation, God has got it. He's got it under control. Then he goes to face the Jewish leaders. He will face the Romans. He will face the cross. He will crush the head of the serpent, like just like it said in Genesis 3. He will be made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He will triumph over death. He will burst out the grave. He will be exalted to the right hand of the Father as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords. The last temptation is now done. The bitter cup is in hand. He is about to drink it, and the cup is not trembling. Can we get excited about that? A little weak, a little weak. I know next Sunday when the Panthers play, you're going to get a little more excited about that. Listen, we get, we get excited about a lot of things that don't matter. All right? And I think that's part of the problem with our spiritual growth. We get excited about all these other things. We get, we get excited about, man, I love football. We get excited about guys running around in tights, throwing around a cow skin. And we go crazy over that. But when it comes to Jesus, we're like, hmm. Seriously, man. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary and give up. Remember what God endured. God can and restore you, but you have to humble yourselves. Don't let pride get in the way. Don't let pride get in the way. There is one final point I want to make in that God restores you so you can help restore others. Listen, I, I'm, you know, I know I'm, you know, we're focusing on you guys here a little bit today, but that's, it can't be where it stops, all right? I know we live in a me culture where it's all about me, the selfie culture, but God restores you so you can help restore others. Now, Jesus is ultimately the one who restores. But I want you to think back, and I want you to think about the person that invited you to church maybe years or decades ago. Who was that person? Maybe it was your parents. Maybe they drug you to church. I don't know. I'm glad they did, though. But who invited, who invited you to the bridge? Who shared about Jesus with you? Who shared about how God had transformed their life and, and, and that God wants the same thing for you? Who did that? Do you remember who that person was? Who prayed for you during some trying times? Who encouraged you and believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself? Did God not use that person as part of the restoration to take place in your life? You bet he did. Dr. Don Reinhardt was my college professor, and he was one of those people. He passed away this week at age 78. I was stunned. Uh, he taught for nearly 40 years. College professor for nearly 40 years. He was one of the kindest men I have ever known, one of the most gentle men I've ever known. Um, man, college was some rough times. Uh, I tell you what, like if you're in that like 18 to 25 your range right now, just hang on, buddy. That's, that's a tough age. That's a tough age. You're really trying to find out who you are. And, uh, and there was a lot of times that, uh, that I went to his office. Um, I won't go into all the details, but uh, 
He's one of the main reasons why I went to ministry. He baptized me on the day I graduated college on a lake with my family and friends watching the shoreline. I got that picture. We would talk through the years. I mean, I would literally call him up, like, years after I graduated, just to call and say hi. I mean, who does that? Who, who calls their professor? <laughs> and I want to mention his name because I want to honor him today. And the Bible talks about honoring those that deserve honor. And there's people in your life that you need to thank this week. There's people in your life that you need to bring honor to, that who didn't give up on you, who believed in you, who prayed for you and prayed with you. We need to write some thank you notes. Listen, my generation does a terrible job of writing thank you notes. We need to do a better job of that. Thank someone. If you're a teacher, you are making more of an impact than you can even fathom. Some of the people I look back with the fondest memories are teachers. So hang in there. It's all worth it. But life is messy. Life is messy. And it gets messy when you come alongside and try to be a part of that restoration process in someone's life. Maybe, maybe they don't want it, maybe they do. But as Christians, we are called to carry each other's burdens so restoration can happen. A burden is anything that oppresses or hinders the spiritual development of a brother or sister. A burden is anything that oppresses the spiritual development of someone. I read this this past week. I said, if the burden is emotional, you bear it through counsel, hugs, listening, and prayers. You may do that day after day after day, as long as that brother or sister carries the burden. If the burden is financial, the burden is borne by giving your money or other assistance. If it's physical burden, you bear it through your time, your effort, your compassion, and your energy. Whatever the cause, bearing the burden means carrying the load until the brother or sister can walk unburdened on his or her, his or her own again. I love the old proverb that says, a joy shared is a double joy, a burden shared is a half burden. A joy shared is a double joy. A burden shared is a half burden. Listen, you wouldn't be here today if some people didn't come alongside you and help share the burdens that you were carrying. When you pick up the weight of another person, it can be a heavy burden to bear. Notice it took four people to bring the paralytic man to Jesus and lower him through the roof. Four people. Sometimes you have to call in reinforcements when you've prayed for someone and nothing is happening. That's when two or three are gathered in Jesus' name. Is it time to call in some reinforcements? Because what you're doing, you just feel like you're not making any headway? It was their faith, not, it was the, it was the faith of the four friends, not the sick man's faith that Jesus responded to. When you do your part, God will do his. Do you know that reconciliation can happen because of your faith in someone else's life? What an awesome responsibility that is. So let's allow ourselves to not get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will have a harvest of a good crop if we don't give up and don't quit. Galatians 6, 9. We had a pastor here years ago that talked about don't let go of the rope. You guys remember that message? Man, it was awesome. Um, wish I could find that and, and, and share that, but about not let go of the rope. Who's on, who, who, who do you got to lower into that roof? What are you willing to do for those that you, that you love and care about, even what are you willing to do for those that you don't like very much, but you know God wants to bring restoration in their lives? 
You know, it's easy to love people that we love. It's a little bit hard to love people that maybe we don't like very much or someone that's hurt us. Someone you know and deeply care about needs you right now. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. If it was easy, you wouldn't rely on God. If it was easy to love some people, you wouldn't rely on God. But you have to rely on God for restoration to take place in this person. You have to. Jesus says for us to love one another as he has loved us. How much does God love you? That much. That much. Let Jesus love you today. Let him restore you today. And share that with someone else so they can be restored as well. Let me pray. God, I want to thank you for your outrageous love, for your scandalous love that doesn't make sense to us at all. God, we deserve hell because of what we have done, because how we have lived. And, you, and yet you have promised us heaven for those who trust you. God, there's, I, I just believe that there's a lot of people in here that need to be restored today. This message was for them. God, we need your restoration in our lives. God, there's some people that we know that either we deeply care about or maybe we don't really care about them, Lord, but they need restoration. So I ask that you would speak to their hearts at this very moment, Lord. You know exactly where they're at. And you can speak to their hearts, God, right now, at this moment. Lord, you can bring them to their knees right now. Whatever they're doing, Lord, pierce their heart with your love. It says that your kindness is what leads us to repentance, God. And that's what did it for me, Lord. You are so kind, you are so loving, you are so good that I could, couldn't do anything except run into your arms, Lord. I, I couldn't run, run away from you any longer. And there was a day, Lord, that I came home to you. And there's going to be a day, Lord, when I come home to you for good, for all eternity. And I long for that day. But until that day, Lord, help me to press forward. Help me to not give up. Help me to pray, because I need help praying, Lord. There's so many times I don't know what to say. Help me just sit in your presence. God, if there's anyone here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, or, or maybe they have, and they're just not living for you right now, I just ask, God, that you would speak to their heart right now. Lord, they can make a decision right now before they leave this place. And if that's you, it's not a, a special prayer. It just... It's, it's just submitting yourself. It's saying that, Jesus, I believe that you were Lord and Savior, that you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead. And I want to make you Lord. I want to make you king of my life. I'm going to give you control. I'm going to give you the reins. That's all you're saying. If there's anyone here right now that needs to be restored, on the count of three, I just ask that you raise your hand with all eyes closed. And I just believe when you raise your hand, when you, when you, when you make a public declara a declaration of, of an inward change, I just feel like God solidifies that. So on the count of three, if, if this is a first-time decision or if this is a rededication, I want you to lift your hand. One, God loves you. Two, you will never be the same. Three, let God restore you. Raise your hand if you're making a decision. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see anyone else that wants to make a decision for God to restore you? I see your hands. I see your hands. God, we thank you for what you have done and for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to take communion right now.
when Jesus was with his disciples, before he went to the garden, he had the last supper with them. And he, and he took the bread, he took the bed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. And then, and then he took the cup. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood, poured out, shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can you, can you even imagine that at that table, Judas was sitting at that table and Jesus gave him communion? Can you even fathom that Peter was sitting at that table and Jesus would give him communion even though Peter would deny him? You think you've done too much for God to love you? That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here right now. If Jesus conquered the cross and he conquered the grave, what can't he make new in your life? What can't he make new? I read this past week and it's so powerful. He says, it was a lady that said it. She said, it's not about what you've been in the past or who you've been in the past. The attacks on your life have much more to do with who you might be in the future than you have been in the past. The enemy fears who you are becoming. The enemy fears that you will become what God made you to be. The enemy is scared of who you can become in Jesus Christ. What an awesome thought. There is something inside of you that the enemy is afraid of, that he doesn't want you to realize. God is not ashamed of you. He wants to restore you right now. 2 Corinthians 5 goes on to say that we are reconciled, we are restored, we are made one with God because of Christ Jesus. He no longer counts our sins against us. We are his ambassadors. We represent God's kingdom, and we're to tell others about the good news. He no longer counts our sins against us. Listen, are you hindering someone from being restored in your life right now. Listen, God says he does not count your sins against you, but some of you are counting other people's sins against you, but God's not counting your sins against you. Is that your spouse? You continue to bring up their past? You continue to bring up their past sins? God doesn't do that with you. Why do you keep on doing that? You are hindering restoration from happening to your spouse. Is it a parent? God wants to do some restoration in your, in your parents or maybe a step-parent and you're getting in the way of restoration taking place and you're letting bitterness and, and, and anger and hurts allow from restoration happening in that relationship? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a, fr a friend that, that you thought that, that was going to be there for you and, and they did some things. And you're hindering restoration from happening in their life because you can't forgive. God wants you to be a part of restoration in someone else's life. And oftentimes, it will be someone that you find difficult to love because God is going to use it for you to rely on his strength to love that person the way that you can't. Listen, I want to help my wife fall more in love with Jesus, and I don't want to hinder that. Do you know the word restore comes from the root, from the root word refresh, to be breathed upon? Refresh to be, breathed, to be breathed upon. Who needs a breath of God right now? Who needs to be refreshed right now? Let God love you. 
Let him restore you and be a part of helping others experience that restoration as well. This is how we're going to do communion. It's a little bit different. I can't stand those little cups with the wafers. I can't even get the wafer open half the time. Can I get an amen? All right. We may do it that way, but it's not my first, my first choice. Listen, man, I, 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 need some, I need some big honking chunks of bread. All right? It's been a rough week for me. Some of you may need a double shot. I don't know. But listen, uh, this is how we're going to do it. Everyone is going to exit this way to come take communion, even those, even those seats over on the side. Everyone's going to come this way. The ushers will go row by row, so you can just sit until the ushers come by and let you come. And we'll start with the front rows in just a moment. Uh, everyone will exit to the right. They'll come back around. What I want you to do is I want you to come to the table with your family. Listen, on Thursday, there, there was a couple here that I know that's going through some major, major marital issues. And it, and, it, and it just warmed my heart to see them come up and take communion. To put aside the hurts and to put aside the differences and say, we're going to come, we're going to get through this. And we're going to love each other. And we're going to fight for our marriage. We're going to fight for our family. Yes, you hurt me, but you know what? I hurt God more than you ever will hurt me. And if he can forgive me, I can forgive you and I can move on. And I'm not going to keep on bringing up what you did in the past. Because God doesn't do that in my life. So I want you to take communion with your family. If you are with some friends, take communion with your friends. If you don't have family and friends, we're your family. We're here for you. We're with you. So don't rush. Take communion and don't walk away from the table until you take communion. We, we, got, we got four tables. We'll, we'll move through this. Just take your time. Let God minister to you. Let God restore you. When you're done taking it, you can put the cups in the, in the bins there. And these small cups here are gluten-free. Because we got some people that have not taken. I know that sounds weird, you know. But listen, man, we got some people with gluten allergies that haven't been able to take communion in years. Shouldn't they be able to take communion as well? Why not? I thought about you guys. So... Let's come. Let's start with this first row. If we can have the ushers come down, or at least one of them, and just guide you guys down. Come. Let God love you. Let God restore you. Pastor Matt's going to sing an awesome song. And I'll close. I'll come back up and close this out.